You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 117. Today, I'm talking with Carolyn Stamey. We're talking about how to get paid faster. And don't we all need to know that? There's so many aspects of the revenue cycle that we're not taught. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have a great guest today. This is Carolyn Stamey. She is with Contemporary Medical Solutions, and we have been talking about how to better understand the revenue cycle, but we're going to focus a little bit on the patient experience and the doctor's experience and all of this. And the main point of this is that we as physicians are losing the public relations game when it comes to billing. Uh, Because for one thing, the more we lose track of what the system is, the less we're understanding what the patient is going through. And the result of this is we don't get paid because we're not doing the things we need to. And the patients keep getting bills that they don't understand. And we can't help them because we don't know the system either. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. This is obviously a big subject. And Carolyn has got a lot of things coming that's going to help everybody, both doctors and patients. But we're going to cover several specific topics here that I think everyone really needs to understand because I know that I do. And if I do, I'm guessing you do too. Carolyn, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I've grown up in revenue cycle, essentially my very first job, I was asked to do the billing and take it on and knew absolutely nothing. And I started growing from there because I discovered for me, it was this passion. It was so much fun to be able to see that claim get paid, that physician's bottom line improve. And I grew throughout my career. Ultimately, I was responsible for some very large departments and large healthcare organizations, up to about 1,800 physicians at one point even. But the joy was starting to go from that. I loved growing and developing my team. I enjoyed the interactions, but I really missed seeing the actual impact of the physician and being able to have that one-on-one communication about how do we improve things and seeing things get improved. So ultimately, after I was reduced from my last position due to a lack of growth in the MSO that I was working for, I finally decided it was time to get back to my roots and started my own company as Contemporary Medical Solutions so that I could have that direct impact back to the physicians and really help their bottom line and see it improve. Now, this is what I really like about your story is that this is also the same path that a lot of doctors are taking. We start joining these big organizations because they seem to be getting bigger by the minute and we lose sight of what the experiences start to finish of all this. We we miss the point. We take ourselves to like the smallest segment of what we contribute to the system and we can control that part, but we can lose track of the rest of the system in general. So become this cog in the wheel in an office cubicle somewhere in the corner of the office. And that is not just true for a lot of the medical uh, billing and coding and all the things along the way that is now starting to be the experience of the physicians too, where we're turned into these little cogs in the wheel and just one piece of the pie, which a lot of people are starting to recognize there's not a lot of satisfaction in that. (laughs) I truly lost myself for a while because I enjoyed what I was doing, but I missed 
I really missed that one-on-one -on -one interaction. I missed that smaller physician feel. I missed seeing the direct impact to the bottom line where they could go buy better equipment and grow their services. So yeah, that's exactly what brought me back to this. I finally decided just having a job was no longer enough. I needed to be able to have my passion and follow that. I love that. Having a job is now no longer enough. And we see this too. We can go through all the training and start living our purpose, which is to, to use our knowledge and become masters of what we do. But the recognition piece, that mastery and recognition that's so important for job satisfaction can be missing when you get to these bigger organizations. So it makes perfect sense that you would now transition to a little bit more direct interaction with physicians and physician groups. So I know that you're now starting to work with people that are like 25 physicians or less, things like that. So let's talk now about what that is like. So one of the main concepts that I think that we don't understand our role in as much as physicians is so the public relations game. So a patient gets a bill and then another bill and then another bill, and they are different amounts and from different people and no one understands. And it has the doctor's name on it. I've overheard people say, this doctor's charged me $600 for this. And this doctor is doing this. And I keep getting, now I got a collection letter for them. So when our name is on this bill, we are still responsible for it, even though we don't have any idea what's going on. So tell me a little bit about this idea of what your goal is when you're starting this company and helping people understand what are they getting, like the end result of all of this. Sure. So our goal really is to help both the patient and the provider. And we plan on doing that through multiple ways, or we are already in some cases doing that. We will be starting a podcast the first quarter of 2024, really focused on patients and helping them to understand what's happening in the office behind the scenes. And then we want to be able to bring the provider aspect into that too, so to provide some education about what can they do to help make things better for that patient. It's a powerful relationship that relationship between the patient and the provider, realistically, they both have a contract with the insurance company. So partnering together to, to make this work is really a great thing. I think that's so great because I get this question a lot too. The patient's in our office and they think that I should know how much their surgery is going to cost. And I have my contract with the insurance company. I know how much I'm going to get. And they have signed a contract with insurance company to see how much they're going to pay for these things. And they don't know mine and I don't know theirs. And if something gets lost in the middle of all this. And when they ask me, I really don't have time to explain them. My office manager doesn't have time to explain it. And I thought you said it best too. Like when you get a bill from the pathologist, I don't know how to explain that either because now I don't see the contract and it's not my company. So to allow a service that is independent of the insurance company to help patients navigate that is a really huge gap in knowledge right now. So I think that's a, a really fantastic thing that you're doing. And we'll make sure uh, to put the way to contact you in the show notes and the basically contemporary medical solutions.com also on LinkedIn, but we'll put that at the yeah. end too. But I wanted to set that up of, of what the problem is that we're all getting so removed from the cycle of all of this that we don't understand. But unfortunately, our name is on that. They think we should understand. And there, there are certainly some aspects that we should understand. So let's first go back now and say, uh, let's look at when you're doing the whole process. Let's just review the revenue cycle. So take me through going from 
patient comes in to you getting paid for that patient and that patient paying? Sure. So it actually really starts when that patient picks up the phone to call and schedule the appointment. The person on that end is collecting all of that demographic information for that patient, including their insurance information. Optimistically, before that patient arrives at your office, the system has automatically checked eligibility and found them eligible for the insurance. And if not, somebody has contacted the patient to really find out what insurance do you have? Do I have a typo? Do I have incorrect information? So when that patient arrives, they're really checking all of that information again. Optimistically, insurance is active and the provider is then going to see that patient, complete the documentation, identify what procedure code, what diagnosis code, get that selected. All of that then can get tossed like a softball off to your billing company who then takes it, creates the claim, sends it out, and really does all of the insurance follow-up along the way. Optimistically, too, you've got a company that after that claim is paid and the patient receives their bill for their copay or the coinsurance, they've got a customer service team also taking that phone call to help you out and really explain to that patient, why do they owe it? How did they get that bill? And in some cases, why is that bill so much later than the service that was actually done? So a customer, a good customer service team can help walk that patient through all of that for you. Yeah, that's really helpful to know. And I know it's surprising, but a lot of patients don't know like when their insurance goes inactive or if they have a secondary one or which one is most important. Um, I know a lot of EMRs have that already built in, but if a patient's insurance change or they don't give the secondary insurance or something like that, one may require preauthorization, another may not even though that's not really our responsibility to do that, it's the patients. It's one thing to be responsible for it. And it's another thing to have the consequences of it. So knowing this information is helpful. We can say it's the patient's job to figure this out. But when we do a surgery, we don't get paid for it. We're dealing with the consequences of it. I could say all day long that it's the patient's responsibility to figure this out uh, and not mine. But in the end, as I've mentioned a lot of times, resisting reality is saying it's their job, they'll figure it out, but I'm still not getting paid. So I think knowing the problems in the system are helpful if you want to get paid. And this is true even if you're employed, knowing what the system is. And if you're working in a broken system, it's helpful to know because ultimately, if this hospital or this clinic that you're working for is not getting paid, they're not going to be able to support your salary. So being aware and asking questions, even if you don't feel overtly responsible for what's going on, is going to be really important to make sure you're ensuring your job stability. And that's so key. One of the things we anticipate releasing in January is an educational webinar for providers to be able to help them know what questions should I be asking of my revenue cycle company? And that really goes whether you're employed or not employed. Some of the things are really related to what denials are you seeing? Is there anything I can do to change what I'm doing to help us get paid faster? Just These are just really some basic questions that will help generate the conversation and then help move you to ask other questions. Yes. Oh, and a a good point that you mentioned before we started recording was when you hire one of these companies, we think, oh, great, they are going to fix all that stuff. I don't know how to do, which making sure like the ICD-10 matches the CPT code, make sure it works with the contract, make sure I'm getting paid, make sure it's billed appropriately and all the things. Now, you mentioned one of the pitfalls that we are still responsible for, even if we hire a company. So what is the one pitfall about hiring a company that you want to ask them about? That is a a 
Great question, because the big thing we want to ask them about is, are you offshoring anything? So do you have people working for you in other countries? India is a really common place to outsource to. And in order to save money, a lot of medical billing companies will outsource to India. But Medicaid in most states does not allow that. And oftentimes your commercial insurance companies require approval through the company, the insurance company, before you actually offshore it. So ultimately, like you said, providers are accountable for that. That's, But it's what's happening behind the scenes and they may not know because that medical billing company may not share that information. And it's very important to recognize that we are liable for everything along the path based on the contracts that we sign. So we co- sign the contracts, we take a lot of ownership and by letting other companies manage some of these things, we're still responsible for what they do to the best that we're able to. Exactly. Some of the key pieces that that people are missing generally are errors in emissions insurance, cyber liability insurance, and they're not necessarily coming forward with offshoring and what they do. All of these things we think are very important. Cyber liability insurance is a good one. I had not heard that, but it makes a lot of sense now with the hijacking of information and holding people hostage when it comes to like their information and logging the system. I think just heard recently about one of the systems going down for a cyber attack. Now, let's talk about another point of what's in our insurance contracts and what are some of the pitfalls that you see that people don't understand when it comes to billing and getting money based on what the insurance contract says? And I'll set this up because, like, for example, I started tracking my cases and seeing what reimbursement I was getting back. And I realized they forgot to submit a bill for a gallbladder surgery that I did in July. So what should I be th- looking at and what could happen for me now submitting this bill in now December for this surgery that happened in July? Sure. So some of the things you want to be aware of in your insurance contract and definitely have a copy of it in-house, you want to be aware of what are those timely filing limits. Make sure you're holding your billing company accountable to meeting those. And then they also have appeal limits. So if you've got something that's been hanging out there and it was denied 90 days ago, it may be too late to appeal. So it's really critical that people are aware of those timeframes in their insurance contracts. This is so important because, for example, I've now, I'm not sure based on the contract, we had to look back at the contract, but most of these timely filings are, I think, 90 days. Would you agree? I would say they start at 90 days. Yes. Some of them are more lenient and allow up to a year. But if you follow the assumption that everything is a 90 day timely filing limit, you should meet most of them. Yes. Yes. So I may or may not get paid for work that I did months ago. I mean, I want you all to let that sink in. You do the case, you document appropriately, you code it well, you take care of the patient. Everything is exactly as we think that we're going to get paid. But unless someone submits that, the building company submits that in a timely manner. And if someone gets sick or they forget or it gets lost in someone's desk and they don't have a checklist or they don't have a a way of doing this, if they submit this 91 days after the occurrence and our contract says 90 days, you will not get paid for all the work that you have done, even if you do everything right. Correct. And generally, the only thing that you can collect from that patient is their co-payment. Super. You should be getting $1,000, but instead you're getting 20. <laughs> and a lot of people don't understand the process too. So let's say, for example, 
someone comes into my office and they need a surgery. So how do I go about interacting with the insurance company typically, because it does depend on the contract. How do I interact with them? Let's keep it something simple. They have a subcutaneous mass. I'm not sure if it's a lipoma or epidermal inclusion cyst. Ultimately, those are paid differently depending. So if I suspect it's this, on my initial clinic note, I may say subcutaneous mass, or I may say I lipoma, and it ends up being an epidermal inclusion cyst. So the the first thing is recognizing before surgery, we are just guessing what the ICD-10 code is going to be. So I do the surgery, then what happens? So in some cases, after you do the surgery, you need to update the diagnosis with the insurance company and let them know. In many cases though, it should be fine because it's a more complex diagnosis code than what we initially submitted. However, that follow-up with the insurance company can be critical at times to make sure that information is updated. And sometimes if you sent something out for pathology, you have to wait for it to come back. You've got to wait for that more specific diagnosis so that the pathology actually matches the surgery claim. And I think it's really helpful to understand that is our responsibility to do that is I'm saying that this is what I think the code is in surgery. I think it's this code, but the pathology tells us it may be a different one. I think it's a lipoma. It ends up being an epidermal inclusion cyst. So now my CPT code is going to, instead of being like the 20,000s for a a deeper lipoma, then this is more of a subcutaneous thing. It's more of 11,000, something or other. I'm just guessing roughly the the number. And those RVUs are going to be way different. When you understand that, when you get this letter and the insurance company says, we are seeking more information, trust me, I have had a lot of drama myself going, they're just trying not to get paid. They're just being difficult. They're just being annoying. They're hoping I don't catch it. I have a lot of not helpful thoughts going through my head about that. (laughs) Yes, we all do. (laughs) But when you understand they don't want to pay for a higher surgery when it may be something different and the pathology result is the key between those two things, or there is a difference between one, like a colon partial resection. Let's say, for example, a right colon surgery is a CPT code or right colectomy is a CPT code. And there's a different code that's saying, I also take the ileocecal valve. Now, if you talk to a general surgeon, they think that's dumb. The ileocecal valve is attached to the right colon. So I'm likely going to be taking that. But if there's two different codes, then they will ask for more information, specifically the operative note to see if you have taken the ileocecal valve. And so one, we have to know that there's a difference in code. Two is we have to document it. And three, not to have a lot of drama when the insurance company says, I'd like to see this to make sure I give you the right payment. Yes. And in some cases, good medical billing companies can start to anticipate when do they need that note. So the insurance company isn't coming back anymore after they receive the claim to say, can I have it? The billing company has already sent it with the claim for you to expedite your payment. Exactly. And it's the billing company that's going to change that code, correct? It is in many cases, yes. And a lot of times it depends on what services you're getting from that company. So it's critical to ask, do you have a coder in-house? Are you going to be reviewing my surgical documentation? What does that process look like? In some cases, it's entirely up to the physician to be able to get it correct. And then when the denial comes back, then the company will reach out and have a conversation with the physician to say, should we change this? completely valuable information is knowing like the, everyone is a piece of a link on that chain and getting paid is based on the weakest link in that chain. That is a good way to put it. Yes. And it's so critical because that 
the what the patient, the provider have in common is that insurance contract. So when the two of them are working together towards getting that surgery approved and towards finding out and understanding benefits, that's a powerful force because prior to surgery, then that patient has already contacted their insurance company. They understand their benefits for the service. They understand and can expect what type of bill they're going to receive afterwards. You know, and the provider has done the legwork to get the authorization so that they're getting the maximum payment they can. Exactly. And knowing that there's like the back office things going on is helpful because one, we know when we are responsible for stuff. Like if I do the work, great, I should get paid maybe, but if I don't document it, I'm not going to get paid. If I don't sign it in a timely way, I'm not going to get paid, but I could do everything right. And if still, if something doesn't happen down the line, then just knowing that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me a little bit about this concept of what I think I've heard them called clawbacks. So you get the preauthorization and you do the surgery and the insurance company is like, I think I'm going to actually take the money back and ask for more information. Do you yeah. see that often? How do you manage it? So unfortunately, we do see that fairly often. And there are specific insurance companies that we'll see that regularly with. There is no, I'd love to say there's a magic bullet out there, but there is no great way to manage this, which is just disappointing. But it is important to to be on top of those and understand what did they take back? Why did they take it back? Am I going to get it back or do I have to do something to get it back? And some of these insurance companies will do this just repeatedly and get into these patterns at which point it's great to be able to engage your contracting department. So get somebody on your contracting team or that medical billing company with contracting experience to talk to that payer and see if they can't negotiate something to stop the cycle. Right. There's a tremendous amount of manpower used. And this is just my theory. And again, like I said, I can't say I have the most positive narratives behind this whole system, but if they're routinely denying things or routinely taking money back and asking for more stuff. If we miss that, then all the the work that you've done basically is for nothing. Yeah. And it's disappointing because you can get overwhelmed on the back end, right? Because now you're not just dealing with that claim once to process it and once to post the payment and send the bill out. You're dealing with it a second time now. So it's almost doubling the work that's happening on the back end for your team. Completely agree. And I see this, and this is what worries me, honestly, about the whole system. I see this on a small scale because I'm involved in the process. So that's where the benefit of a lot of private practice has been, is that if me knowing the system results in me getting paid, and if I don't know the system, I don't get paid, you better believe I'm going to learn the system. So I see these things happening. And I see on a small scale, how we could not get paid by doing all the right things with the weakest link in the chain, either being someone who doesn't know what they're doing, or just these like repeated hits and one of them getting lucky that we missed it. So Mm -hmm. I see this on a small scale, but what worries me on a larger scale, as we become detached from this whole process, that the system will now not be able to get paid on a regular basis. For example, if your hospital is overwhelmed and they have short staff like everybody else does, if they're not catching these little small things of the clawbacks and the lack of timely filing and lack of timely billing patients, our systems are really going to suffer. They are. And I've seen this a couple of times where I've stepped into positions and took over that CBO where 
they were so backlogged. They didn't know what to focus on. And we really had to create a solid cleanup plan so that we were attacking the accounts receivable from both the old stuff, trying to clean it up and get paid what we could get paid for, and then the new stuff to keep up with it. And it is a challenge. Once that system gets behind, it's difficult to get caught up. Completely agree. And then because I, I, people also change too. You mentioned another aspect that I thought was really cool is if you do have a smaller group or a medical billing company you work with regularly that talks back and forth to the payer, that you can make the system work for you a little bit better, minimizing these clawback things and minimizing the even the preauthorization. Like Absolutely. preauthorization procedure is not 100% needed in some things, especially if you can build trust in the system. So tell us a little bit about this, I guess this role of how the billing company could potentially help you not have a lot of these drama episodes. Sure. So starting off with insurance contracting and just the basics there, if you've got somebody that's good with contracting, they can partner with it the insurance company to try to update that contract and save time, potentially even remove the authorization requirement in some ways. So that's really critical. Credentialing is another key area where a lot of times you'll see denials because somebody forgot to update the, the credentialing. It needs to be done generally every two years and people lose track of that. So having a good billing company that understands that system and can stay on top of it, that really helps. Those are the two unique aspects to some of the billing companies that are out there. So tell us a little bit more about the credentialing, because I think a lot of people who, if they're not familiar with interacting with insurance companies, may not know what credentialing is. So tell us a little bit more about that process. What's the point? How does it work? Things like that. Sure. And credentialing really comes in a variety of different ways. People use that term very loosely to mean either credentialing with the medical staff office at the hospital or credentialing, which is actually called payer and or payer enrollment with those payers. So if you take the portion of it that's payer enrollment, continue to call it credentialing, that's fine. But know that it's so important to get yourself as a provider linked with that insurance company appropriately. And that's what drives the payment. Letting that Letting that payer know if you're practicing at five different locations, they need to know that they're going to expect to see you at those five different locations too. And that's what your credentialing team can really do for you. And they'll stay on top of it and make sure two years from now, when that expires, they'll get you recredentialed in a timely basis. And I like the idea of credentialing being more finely defined as payer enrollment, because it's essentially your agreement with the insurance company. Yeah, it really is. And one of our blog posts actually addresses this concept and speaks specifically to some of the differences in each. Oh, that's really helpful. And because I don't even know what I didn't know. When I started this whole journey, like three years ago, I had no idea about any of this. I didn't know that the patient has a contract with the insurance company. I didn't know that I would have a contract with the insurance company. And I did not know on a hospital side that it is signed on your behalf, that we don't even see these contracts a lot of times if you're with these big employers. It's really helpful to recognize that we are held to these regulations and we're responsible for them, but we don't even necessarily see them. 
And I think what's fascinating, if you look at the difference between a hospital organization and that contract and a small practice contract, the hospital organization for those physicians, they're really negotiating at a high level. If you're providing surgical services, and that's a very small percentage of what's happening in the hospital, they're very likely not even looking at your rates to make sure that they're appropriate. But when you're a small practice, you need to focus on that and really make sure, okay, 20% of my business is gallbladder removals. So you want to make sure that you're negotiating a higher fee for your gallbladder removal than you are for other items in there. So you've got more ability as a small practice to really drive that focus and work with that insurance company to figure out what's the best rate for which services. And a lot of people don't realize that we do have some recourse and someone who could potentially help us when we run into problems with the insurance companies. And I'll give you an example. In Middle Tennessee, our orthopedic group, one of the largest in the medical or Mid-South area, tried to increase their rates with a particular insurance. And they asked, they said, hey, you've not changed our rates in 10 years. Can you increase the rates? Do you know what they did? They dropped them. One of the largest insurance companies dropped one of the largest orthopedic groups. And so they ended up employing this, but I know you wanted to mention this as well, is so when an insurance company does something and we don't know exactly what to do about this, what can a practice do? Sure. The end result is really a recommendation to go to the insurance commissioner in that state. So the insurance commission is there to help providers. They're there to help resolve some of these situations between them. Uh, Generally, providers are scared to go to the insurance commission, though. They're afraid it's going to make them look bad or ruin the relationship that they have with that insurance company. And while insurance companies truly don't appreciate that you've gone to the insurance commission on them, they definitely take a harder look and they work more closely with you in the future because they understand that you're taking this seriously, too. And at what point should you go to the insurance commissioner of your state? I think it depends. That's a great question. I recently saw a post from somebody that was trying to get a copy of their insurance contract from the insurance company. So unfortunately, this practice had signed the agreement, did not keep a copy, couldn't find it anywhere. And the insurance company was refusing to provide that to them. That's a great example of when to go to the insurance commission. Another great example would be if they're withholding payment or they're not following their own contract guidelines. So if you submit something timely and they deny it as untimely, that's definitely, if they're doing it repeatedly, and that's really the key, right? If it's a repeated aggression or a repeated issue that's occurring, that's the trigger for when to go. It sounds like it's true of like most things. It's always best to understand in the first place and get everything understood ahead of time. And then you work on your relationship with them so you can try to get to a better understanding. And then when that doesn't work, then you bring the third party in. Absolutely. Because I think one of the things I always try to remember is that the insurance company is a business too. They've got a business to run. So they've set down policies and procedures to try to clarify things for their employees. But sometimes things just don't work or people don't understand. I try to remember that they're a business, but like you, periodically I get in there and I'm like, what are they doing? Why did they do this? They're doing this intentionally, even though I know that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> and 
it's always helpful for us to identify which role we're living in these days. And I posted this about something else, but we can take the role in our interactions in different ways. Am I the villain? Am I going to burn their house down? Am I the victim of saying, why does this always happen to me? Or am I going to be the scientist of saying, I wonder what's, I wonder why this is. There's got to be something going on. And or am I going to influence this is that I see this does not necessarily work for me. This doesn't work for anyone. Maybe I should like work with them to come up with a better way. So in every interaction, we have a choice on how we're going to move forward. And for me, uh, it's so easy to get into the complaining mindset, especially when we don't understand. And that was actually where a lot of my drama and suffering was coming from in the revenue cycle was I was just making the assumption everyone was just out to get me and to, to keep me from getting paid. And the more I realize and understand the process, the more I understand. So I'll tell you the things I've learned, and I want you to, to let me know some of the things you may have learned. For one, we are the problem if we don't submit our documentation. <laughs> so that's the pitfall in that one. And then the second is that the coder may not understand, and it's important for us to recognize the coder is not allowed to influence us on in what we code. And the reason I say that is that when I looked at their books, the coders' books and what they're told to do, they cannot be seen as helping upcode things because that is a form of insurance fraud. So they are directed not to help us in ways that are like too overt. So they're not being difficult. So I thought that was fascinating. And the billing is not recognizing that, yes, I'm busy and I can't submit this, but if I don't submit this in a timely way, they can't submit this in a timely way. And if they come back and say, hey, how about more documentation on this? They're not being a pain in the ass. They really are just saying, I think you could potentially get more credit for the work you're doing. Why don't you help me understand all the work you're doing is what they're really asking. And the insurance companies, hey, look, I just want to make sure that we are fitting the payment to match what you're doing not more and not less, then that makes a little bit more sense. And those are the things that I have learned along the way to dial down some of my own negative self, negative talk about these processes. What are yeah. some of the things that you've seen that I may have missed? So I've learned definitely, it's so important to have a copy of that insurance contract and really understand it because you can make the insurance company a partner in many ways. You leveraging that provider rep is so important, but having a copy of that contract and understanding it is really critical. I've also learned having a great customer service team, somebody to really help that patient and even take the time. If they're sitting there saying, I'm confused, I've got a bill from three different doctor's offices. Is there anything you can do to help me? Oftentimes we just cut them off and we're like, nope, we can only help you on our bill. But having that broader scope and even getting on the phone with that patient to call the other practitioner's office, it's a huge patient satisfier for them. And it brings them right back to that practice. And what is the reality of us being able to change some of these insurance contracts? Because it does seem like a lot of these contracts feel a little bit one-sided. For example, and this is not, I don't know of any terms specifically, but I've heard that we are supposed to submit by three months, but they have two years to deny it. So that for me feels very one-sided. But a lot of people, times uh, when I posted this in a group about one of these clawback things, they said, it is our fault for signing these contracts. But what is the reality of getting some of these contracts changed? Do you feel like we have a lot of leverage to be able to change any of these terms that feel a little one-sided. 
I think one of the things you mentioned is key. It's important to understand that there are prompt pay laws within each state. So once you submit that claim timely, that insurance company must respond within 60 days. I believe that's the prompt pay law in most cases. So they could deny it or they could say, I'm holding it. And they could take maybe up to two years to finalize it, but they must respond within 60 days, which is critical because it gives you an opportunity to follow up and find out what is going on. Now, the opportunity to change some of these contracts really varies based on based on provider, based on your relationship with the insurance company, based on whether or not you are one of the top players in that city that you're in or the town that you're in. But it is always worth trying and always worth having a conversation with them because you never know where they might go. We've been able to remove authorization requirements in some cases based on the fact that the provider was part of a variety of quality programs. So their quality scores were very high. So that insurance company was able to recognize and say, when you refer somebody for something, I trust that patient actually needs it and remove the authorization requirement. Very helpful. So I know that you mentioned that the best way to help others is to have a central hub that does all the things. So like, instead of me trying to help someone with their pathology bill or the radiology bill or their hospital bill, even, and the patient trying to talk to the insurance company where they don't necessarily understand that you are probably going to be like the physician to help the patients understand as well as the doctors understand. So tell us again, where people can find you and what some of the things you have coming uh, down the line. Sure. So we can be found online at contemporarymedicalsolutions.com or on LinkedIn under Contemporary Medical Solutions as well. We do have a weekly blog where we are posting helpful information for people in a variety of ways. One of the recent ones was the debate about no-show fees. Should you charge a no-show fee or not? Coming up, In January, we're going to be releasing a webinar for providers to better understand revenue cycle metrics and how they can ask some questions to help really engage and understand what's going on. And not just the basics, we really take it to looking at productivity metrics. So if you've got a productivity report in your system, what should you be looking at to monitor your billing company and see if they're working in your system and compliance metrics as well? First quarter, we will be releasing a podcast really focused on helping patients understand what's happening in that office. So we believe that the patient-provider relationship is really a powerful combination when it comes to partnering and working with the insurance company. So we want patients to really understand what is going on? Why do we need this authorization? What is this contract that I've signed with the insurance company? Yeah, completely agree. So I think that's most helpful, especially for a weekly blog or a newsletter is we don't know what we don't know. So it's hard to ask the questions when you don't know, you don't know it, but to have someone deliver something to you weekly is, Hey, do you know this? Then you could either read it and now, you know, or you're like, I know that and then move on. So I think it's really great that you're now delivering that to people. So we get a regularly, I don't know, scheduled amount of information. Yep. And, and we never spam people. We don't want to over provide information to people. So we only send monthly newsletters. So come to our website, sign up for a newsletter, and you're only going to get hit with information once a month. But what you're going to receive is that top three blog posts that happened that month. Oh, I love it. That's really great. Thank you so much again, Carolyn, for coming on such valuable information. And I'm really excited about all the things you have coming down the line. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to be here. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.